Welcome to LLP, the Lawyer Life podcast, where the personal, professional, and political intersect. Each week, we discuss a topic to help ourselves and other lawyers navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. On today's show, we're talking about innovation. How can lawyers use technology and other things to innovate in their practice? My name is Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. How's your day, day been so far? It's been great. Listeners of the podcast may notice that I'm uh, more awake, more <laughs> more on the ball. Uh, this was one of those mornings I've talked many times about, you know, systems and the children following the systems. And today they did. And the uh, accordingly, I'm moving through life much more easily today. Well, so whoop dee do, Darlene. I was up at 4.30 this morning with my lovely daughter, oh. who decided that she was done sleeping. We had a fort built by 5.15 in the morning. That's how desperate I was. <laughs> so it's been, I would say, you're a, we're at the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of the, the morning routine success. But at any rate, here we are. I thought of you yesterday because I went to one of these morning CPD sessions uh, put on by one of the law firms. Actually, Goodman's put it on and it was on unconscious bias. And I was, you spoke on a previous episode about um, being sort of like a ninja in the morning and being quiet and getting out of the house. And I, I had that experience and it was very challenging and I would not want to do that often, but it was worth it because it was a great session. And uh, I was downtown by 7.30 and yeah, I guess this week my systems are working well and, and life is good. So yeah, the the ninja morning thing is actually really stressful because it's any you you drop the shampoo bottle the wrong way and it, and it all goes sideways, you know. Okay, anyway, we're talking about innovation. We're talking about the legal profession, and we've worked together on some some innovation. I guess this week ticket definitely yeah. Uh, Darlene and I for uh, Interalia client have been working on automating contracts. Which, Darlene, do you want to explain that? Because maybe the maybe me saying automating contracts isn't necessarily self-explanatory yeah. for folks. What we're really doing is helping the in-house counsel, taking an approach to help gather the data from the business team and port it into a contract in a smooth way. So one of the issues that a lot of companies struggle with is there's a sales team, there's a business team, there's somebody doing a deal there are terms negotiated, and then it's up to legal to turn those into a contract. And my experience over the past you know, 10, 15 years has been, there actually is a way to systematize that process and make it easier for everybody and reduce the cognitive load of doing all these contracts, especially if you do the same type of thing over and over. So that's what we were doing this week. It's very fun. It's extremely rewarding. And it, you know, it's motivated by something that you and I talk a lot about on this podcast, which is just trying to deliver value and um, make people feel ownership over the process and a little bit more like, hey, we're doing this deal hand in hand with legal and there we're reducing friction points. That's our that's always the goal. So I don't know. This was this was the deepest into it that you got, I guess, so far. What was your take? For in-house counsel, days are very packed and full. And to carve out time to be strategic in any sort of way is always has to be really um, intentional. And this is another thing that you would have to be very intentional about is understanding that investing time in engaging in this automation process um, will pay dividends. But in the for the next day to a couple weeks or whatever, you're going to be putting in time without getting uh, a deal at the door for the business team that's you know literally knocking on your door. And and so that has to be something you, that you're willing to do. And I think that's the first step. And and 
Um, but otherwise, it, it's an incredible thing and it makes life easy for everybody to build an automated process that you can have confidence in um, that allows you to spend less time on the, I don't want to say mindless, but the less challenging work and spend more time on the actual, um, you know, the stuff that the benefit, the organization can benefit more from of actually using your legal brain um, other than just plugging in terms into a template. It's a very exciting process. Yes. And the funny thing about it is I think that when you have someone in your office saying, or in our case, their virtual office, and they're saying, this is urgent, I need this done. It's not that compelling to say, well, hang on, I'm just going to revamp the whole process. And then I'm going to do your deal. (laughs) That's not really going to fly. So it's more about sort of, you know, we're heading into the end of the year, a lot of our clients going into 2019, what we're suggesting is, you know, sit down at the beginning of the year, and let's talk about which things come up all the time. And let's just make a plan to deal with them and not in the heat of the moment, not when there's a fire. As we went through this, you and I thought, let's talk about innovation because um, yes, we're automating contracts for reals in our in our day-to-day. I'm also blogging about innovation. So the, in, the Interalia blog this week was about um, what it takes to innovate. And I'm always interested in the mindset as people who listen to this podcast know, always wondering what is it that makes people care or makes people deliver value. So let's let's jump in and, yeah. and connect this. To- so the first thing I think that's good to cover, presuming that you can get this, you know, in the instance of of automating an agreement, you know, this this awesome product that shortcuts time and um, you know makes your day easier and your and build relationships better with sales teams and so on. Why wouldn't more people be interested in in automating in the legal space? I think there is. Definitely fear of innovation. So I think there's my own take on this. And I think ask 10 lawyers, you'd get 10 different answers. So this is for what it's worth. This is my own take on it. Um, And this is built on having done innovation in the music industry. And then which was sort of one of the canary in the coal mine industries for true disruption and innovation. Um, And then coming into the legal world, what I think is it's, it's two things. It's fear for your own gig, right? So if I automate this, what do I do? And I know that kind of sounds weird, but that actually is real. Um, I don't think it happens. I think that if you're a competent, smart person who enjoys the law and your work, then you'll move with the industry. It's not like you're just going to be left behind as long as your mindset is right, which we'll get to. And the second thing I think it is, is that there's this, we cling to this illusion a little bit that the way we're doing it today is the best way. And you know, in talking about this episode with my husband this morning, who has a legal tech company, he's, you know, innovation is something we we talk about a lot in this house. Um, He just made a really good point, which was, you know, think of the innovations that we use in our day. And then imagine a life where you're like, well, I don't know, I kind of want to do it the old way. And, you know, the dishwasher came up and (laughs) the washing machine. And you think about all these things where, what drove the innovation was people thinking, oh my God, there's got to be a better way to do this. I think it'd be helpful to have an innovation mindset and always look at places where we can you know, use technology to solve a problem, bring value. And that's one thing from um, your blog post that there's a quote that you gave from uh, Paul Hobcraft, which was great. Just innovation is the fundamental way that the company brings constant value to their customers business or life and consequently their shareholders and stakeholders. And it, mm-hmm. it's almost worth breaking down again as you encourage people to do in the blog. So innovation That's is a fundamental way 
The company brings constant value, constant value, customers, business, or life, and consequently to the shareholders and the stakeholders. Exactly. And I think it's the idea that you're like, what would be valuable to the customer? If that's the lens, so many things go by the wayside or get changed quickly, right? Because if you think about what I always try to do is I look at clients when I'm sitting there with them and hearing about what they're trying to accomplish. And I can see what the pain points are. I can hear what the pain points are. I want to solve those pain points. I don't want to deliver them something that adds problems into the mix, right? Life is complicated. Things move fast. I would like to take something off their plate. You know, that's, that is an objective. And that to me is creating value. And when I think about the things that I use in my day-to-day that take things off my plate, um, you know, for example, we talk, we talk about kid stuff, but you know, I remember being a kid and taking an envelope with cash to school for pizza day or whatever, right? Now they've got the school where you can just go on, log in, put your debit card in, pay for the stuff for the kids. So your kid is never the one being like, I forgot my money, so I can't be a part of whatever. Um, you know, technology has improved that. That takes that used to take hours, I'm sure, to get everything together for that. Now it's a couple minutes. These are the things I mean. So it's value in that I derive value from this technology. It took me no time at all to learn how to use it. It saves me time. And then I, you know, I'm definitely more efficient. I don't miss things. Um, and, you know, these types of little things, if you just look around at your life, there's so many things that you don't do anymore that you used to do. And that to me is, is a form of innovation. And in law, that's what we're trying to do. Um, and we are different. I think we should, an asterisk is warranted here. Because we are primarily in-house style lawyers. So we are dealing with commercial agreements and negotiation. I don't know um, what what the scope is within litigation and matters like that as much. That's just not our specialty. Um, One day on the podcast, maybe we could bring someone on to talk about innovation in that space. But usually what we're talking about is trying to solve business problems. So going, I suppose, on that line, we've we've covered that there's some hesitation, it seems, in the legal industry to innovate and embrace technology. Fear of change potentially is motivating that. What else motivates the the lack of uh, embracing of innovation and technology, do you think? And how can we overcome those things? Well, there's a great, I had a conversation with, um, with someone that has some really deep thoughts about the law on Twitter. His name's Mike Whalen. And we were talking and he mentioned to me that and I, something I had not been aware of is um, he said, you know, the law firm model itself, like the, the model of big firm law is itself an innovation, right? Like it wasn't always that way. Law historically was practiced by, you know, small groups of people in an office in a small place. And law firms were not huge 500 person global um, companies, really. And so I think there is this this adherence to the current innovation without remembering that it is, in fact, an innovation and that it needs to continue to be innovated on to suit the current reality, right? I think that part of why people don't innovate sometimes is just like a belief and, again, another illusion, but it's an illusion that what's what we're doing today is is it, you know? it's And I look at this like, oh, people will always buy CDs, you know, like that seems lunatic style to say mm-hmm. in 2015, but it did not feel strange to say in 2005 to eight. Um, similar thinking, right? It's just like looking around you, looking at what is and thinking that that needs to stay that way. And so I guess 
what have in your world, um, I'd be curious to know, um, in my world, I've, I've witnessed some innovation mindset. I wrote about it in the blog. I said what I thought contributed to being someone who wants to innovate. Um, you're more in the social enterprise and charity space most of the time. And I wonder, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the whole social enterprise sector is an innovation, right? It's, it's a take, it's a new take on for profit business that it, you can integrate a social purpose into your business and, and treat that as one of the driving forces behind what you're up to. You're constantly contributing to a different bottom line of improving X social cause that you're dedicated to. And, and, and what we see is that innovation has really taken hold and consumers enjoyed as well. And it's now becoming something that is, is widespread, that consumers want to know where their products are made, what the company cares about, what the company stands up for, and what the company's cause is. And, you, and, and you know, Pentagonia, I think, was it this week, last week, yeah. announced that uh, they're donating the entire, I think it's $10 million that they got from the Trump tax cut um, to uh, to combat climate change. So, uh, you know, and that's that's part of this movement of, quote, certainly corporate social responsibility. But also now, the I think the social enterprise model, especially in the US, which is um, quite advanced and, and widespread, uh, is letting people know that companies care too, and companies want to contribute uh, to help social causes as well. And that is an innovation that's very different uh, then, uh, you know, 10 years ago, even, uh, certainly 15, 20 years ago when it was literally just about the bottom line and that's what shareholders, uh, would only allow. So I think that, you know, there's a new mindset of, I want to solve problems with the thing I build. And oftentimes that problem is actually a societal issue. Um, and so that's the encouraging thing about, I think what's innovative innovation generally now in the corporate space is often targeted at like, here's the thing that why hasn't anybody solved this problem yet? You know, seeing the problem, finding a solution, and oftentimes society can benefit from that as well. Well, and it's funny you say that because the other example, I referred to the conversation with my husband. Um, he came to law school because he had had a storied history of fighting speeding tickets, <laughs> primarily. So his initial introduction to the legal system was he went into um, he was he went into the library and said, "I'm going to fight a speeding ticket." I'm you know eighteen or whatever, nineteen years old. And they said, okay, well, here's the Highway Traffic Act. And he said, they put this huge volume on the table in front of me. And I thought, well, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> and he went through it. And even though he was in, you know, philosophy at, at university and stuff, he he found it really inscrutable and impossible to know what the law was. So he's now creating legal technology, which is designed really to help make the law accessible to people. And really, you're we're bound by the law. It should be the case that people can understand at least what the law, you know, what the statutes as passed by the government are. And then, you know, there's a whole angle of case law that's that other legal tech deals with. But um, I thought it was an interesting point. It's like, yeah, why is this? And I think a lot of innovation comes from looking at something and saying, this just shouldn't be like mm -hmm. that. You know, there's got to be a better way, you know, and in my blog, I talked about things that seem like they just are necessary to the business model. But when you dig a little bit under the under the covers of them, you say, oh, actually, that's just about profit. Like late fees at the beginning with Blockbuster, for example, there was a, or not just Blockbuster, any video rental, there was a physical video rental business. And late fees were the way that they kept their stock in the store, right? And that was that was a functional system for a while. 
And then Netflix came out and created a system where they were mailing very, very cheap to produce DVDs that if they didn't come back, it was okay. It was a scale business. They didn't mind. It wasn't like the early days of an extremely expensive VHS cassette, right? Where there was like one and the licensing costs drove the late fee model. Anyway, without getting into the deep metrics of it, that became a line item as a profit center for that company that would have been very, very difficult to convince people to move away from, even when it was obviously something that customers found to be a pain point. Um, And I think that Netflix just, they tried to solve this problem and make video rental less painful for customers. And then they stumbled into the winning model, right? But there are a lot of examples like that. And those are the ones that I find interesting in the legal world. And we don't spend, I don't think as an industry, that much time thinking about other examples Uh from outside law. I think that's one thing that the industry doesn't really embraces the idea of a happy accident, which is, I think, a really big part of technology or can be a really big part um, of of technology and innovation. I mean, you know, the example of, um, I think it was Nokia that, that was the first to put the cameras into their phones, right? What happened there, they didn't really know what was going to occur. It wasn't a good quality picture um, being taken, but people were okay with that because having the phone and their camera allowed them to share more easily. And then also it just so happened at the same time, Facebook and other social medias started to kick off and it, and it just led to this whole growth together that maybe not everybody foresaw. That's a happy accident. That's just Nokia saying, we're going to try this and see what's up. And then it had a life of its own and look at where we are now. Um, and you can't always foresee what innovation will create. Sometimes you just have to decide that you're going to believe in something and innovate and, and, and allow it to, to, kind of have a life of its own. And I don't know how much the industry has that sort of spirit. Well, when I, in the blog, when I mentioned the quote from uh, about the Kodak situation, so Kodak um, invented the first digital camera in, I think, 40 years ago or 30 years ago, something like that. And they sat on it because they didn't want it to threaten their business. So that it was a risk averse, let's just park this thing, let's just keep putting out film. And what I found really um, interesting about the quote that I read about that time in the business was that they said that the execs didn't really appreciate that people would be willing to have a lower quality photo if it was more convenient. You know, they didn't, they didn't budget in the idea that digital would improve over time and that people might be interested in it in more of like a beta format. And I think that that's kind of where law is struggling. I think that there is this idea that everyone wants the existing system because it's the best, you know, it's, this is, it's done properly and no one would want something not done properly. And I'm just not sure that's accurate. I'm not sure that that's a true statement. And if you look at what's happening in some other jurisdictions and um, you look at, for example, will kits, right? Like to me, that's the, that's the best example of what the customer really wants. I am not a wills lawyer. I'm not a wills lawyer either. Um, and so my wife and I went to the town lawyer here mm-hmm. and I regret it so much. It was it was obviously the most automatic thing for them to do. There was no unique information they were pulling from us at all. <laughs> and not to right. wonderful service and it was nice to be in, in a nice old law office. But in the end, we wound up paying six times for what, what as far as I can tell, putting them side by side basically the same product other other than the fact that they'll store it for us which is honestly the right. the only value i really see i could do that for you for <laughs> uh, going into the, the will storage business <laughs> this is a new interalia thing i do I have an attic for you but so. i could do that 
I would just be your friend storer of the will. You're the type of friend for whom I would store a will. (laughs) And talk talk big ideas once a week, at least. Um, um, But that's a great, great, great example. Um, You cannot, in this day and age, charge the same amount for something that can be automated online you know, there was no value add. That's what you're telling us. You're saying, yes, it was better service, but I'm not really, it's not right. Well, I, I mean, really I, and I didn't know for. that until I went through the process right? when I expected, you know, a, a more in-depth conversation about, you know, what we wanted to do and so on. And it, it didn't come. It was just like, okay, what are your names? Name of daughter, blah, 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 blah. Okay. 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 Get it back to you in two weeks. Well, and it's not to say like there would, the thing about it is it's not to say that there's no place for Will's lawyers. It's to say, this is the world we live in. And now how do you deliver value? Because as a, if I was a Will's lawyer today, I would be aware of the automation and I would need to deal with that in my practice. I would need to say, okay, here's your automated, you guys fill this out. You don't bill my time for filling it out. I review it. If you want my, that you know, like you got to kind of think of what's the business model with my value. So you think about what, I'm, what can only I do? I can uniquely give it a read and tell you based on your answers yeah. if I see something missing because that's what lawyers do. And I think that that is lost in the template world. And I don't really advocate just printing out a template. I mean, as I've said, like I'd, I wouldn't do that myself. I would get an expert to look at it, but I would expect that they are, you know, in their own practice using some sort of process that that acknowledges the existence of automation out there. And I think that probably a lot are. And I think in the industry, they're always, I don't know, let's not use the word always, we don't know. But I think that there, there are lawyers who add value even with the existing state. And then there are lawyers who will be put out of um, their current business by technology. But that doesn't mean that there's no business for you. That means that your business is evolving. We could talk about innovation all day. Do you have advice um, for in-house counsel that's either considering to move toward innovation or trying to convince the organization that they work for to go toward innovation? How can they start to seed that idea? How can they start to convince folks? What is the most like, what is the elevator pitch for investing time and potentially some resources uh, into innovating on the legal side? I think that most businesses already understand the concept of process optimization. They just don't think about it in legal because they have been, uh, whether with the complicity of the the lawyer in-house or their external counsel, they have been taught that there's no way to simplify or streamline legal process. I don't, that's not true. There's always room for improvement. And I would just say, put it on the agenda to streamline and get outside help to do it if you are not going to be able to budget into your time, right? So don't wait till there's a fire, get out in front of it, get the process in place, get someone else working on tweaking it, and then roll it out. In the same way that when accounting gets automated or someone moves to automated billing, there's a process, they tweak it, they roll it out, it's not perfect, they make a selection and they go. And that's, I think, what what we just need to, as an industry and as an in-house bar, um, Bravo. get used to. And there's always bespoke, unique issues that you'll always have to take care of um, that come up as well, which is the exciting part about our work. 
But that's good because this is the idea is that the legal brain needs to be there on a certain percentage of issues, but it should it shouldn't be delayed that you're working on the high value issues because you're too busy sort of wading through a bunch of paperwork that does not need to have your unique mm-hmm. legal skills applied to it in that moment. You know, you can apply your unique legal skills to building the correct template and to setting up a process to review and appropriately control for risk, but then you know, it just, it's not workable with the volume and the speed that most companies that we work with are dealing with. Um, anyway, so I think that was like an elevator pitch, but more like an elevator from the ground floor to like the top of the Scotia Tower. Well, yeah, a lot of the buildings that our potential <laughs> listeners work in are very tall. Yes, I would, I would have more time so. for my elevator pitch, but. Uh, I mean, everybody else in the elevator would be like, what is this woman oh talking about? But I'm sure that you're the lawyer in the elevator would have appreciated it greatly. Maybe that could be your new business development thing. You're just always in elevators. I could just be, yeah, lawyers talking in elevators. This could be, uh, it's not comedians in cars. Ooh, lawyers in I, elevators I, talking innovation. There it is. Wow. If that pops up, we'll know that the idea started here. Anyway, can I do one little bit of housekeeping before we jump I know you're the manager of the agenda, so it should, if we do it at the end, it's about book club. So you no, tell I'm me. Sorry. And and <laughs> so I am going to book club is developing a little bit of a life of its own. So we have done two books so far, as listeners of the pod know. We list, we did uh, Moneyball was our most recent book, and we were looking at how that book or what the lessons from that book were for baseball that could be applied to law firms. And then our previous book um, before that was called Relentless, and it was about how to get top performance out of um, yourself, basically. This one, our next one is going to be in a couple of weeks. And so if people, I thought we'd give people a heads up in case they want to read it and actually listen to the podcast as an informed reader of the uh, of the book that we're talking about. The, one, the book club uh, book will be a book called A Whole New Mind, Why Right Brainers Will Rule the Future by Daniel Pink. And it is a phenomenal uh, concept and something that we're going to talk about. And I, I would love to have people read it, ask about it, interact with us. So heads up. Okay, we'll be back right after this. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Inter Alia Law, experienced legal counsel when and where you need us. To learn more about Inter Alia, visit the website at spelled I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. Thank you. And we are back. We're going to talk our goods and gripes. Goods are things that we want to support. Gripes are things we find annoying. Darlene. I have a good. Do you have a good or gripe? I have a good. My good is that I encountered a fan of the podcast this week who gave me a book to be a contender for book club. So just continuing with my housekeeping. Um, That's awesome. And I was really, really excited about that. And I'm going to give this book a read and then we will hopefully pick it for a future uh, episode. But yes, we're open to taking suggestions about the book club. And I was really pleased to get that idea from someone who's enjoying the show. That That was cool. 
and we're and we're always open to uh, taking questions or topics or anything. So you can always reach out to us at Lawyer Life Pod, and uh, we're happy to have a chat. Okay, I have one other good for Rosie. Let's. I'm going to okay. do a double good, although that is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Rosie, this the is dog. The innovation episode. So you know, I have an open mind. I'm open to change. I embrace creativity. We're thinking big here. We're showing courage. We're thinking and acting fast. We're going two goods in one episode. Here we go. I think. Double good is good for our, as a constant value delivery to our stakeholders. <laughs> uh, and to Rosie, she will find this good. So I Rosie's discovered- Rosie's my dog for new listeners. Yes. Yeah. Rosie the dog would benefit from a uh, doggy advent calendar. Do you have one of these no. for her? <gasps> you must get one. I got one for my friend's dog and it is literally an advent calendar with a dog treat every day and a different picture of a different dog in a Santa hat every day till Christmas. Okay. So- if Rosie celebrates Christmas, then I would recommend that you pick up for her starting tomorrow the doggy advent okay. calendar. I, she does, as far as I can tell. Uh, she's she likes Christmas a lot. Um, we got uh, my daughter, who's just over to the uh, Elf on the Shelf. And do you have an Elf on the Shelf? I don't know if that's a good or a great. No, I know, but listen, I like we're not really using it the way that it's supposed to be used. But it comes with a book. Um, yeah, that's like rhymey and whatever. But it almost reads like a contract, like there. <laughs> It's like very much laying right. out the terms associated with this elf. And it's yeah. like, here's how I work. So here's the service I deliver to you. And here's my relationship yeah. with Santa. Uh, it's conditional on you never touching me. Yes. <laughs> and it's very, very like rules-based and in a square box. And I was like, this is very appealing to my lawyer mind. Like this is very much in line with how like I could write a deal very easily <laughs> based on this term sheet of this book. <laughs> And don't touch me. <laughs> don't touch me. <laughs> I don't know what the indemnity and like so on would be. On you know, we have to consider the risk. Um, but anyway. that's very funny. I had not uh, actually connected that as much when I when I read the Elf on the Shelf. Although I did think it was brilliant because you know, oh, what a God problem. forbid, the Elf on the Shelf gets moved by the kid and you can't put it in a new location the next day. Mm-hmm. So anyway, well, talk to me about the Elf on the Shelf when uh, she's had it for a few years because. Last year, I will confess that we did not get the elf on the shelf out. <laughs> yeah, I, it's already going horribly. It's day three, and all she does is just like pick it up and walk around with it and yell mine. When <laughs> like, you're supposed to just be in the and she's like mine. I got right, whatever. This is not going to work for us. This year, we will put it out because my my kids are old enough to notice uh, where it is. Yeah. But we'll put it out, and I will uh, put it in somewhat uncreative locations and no extra costumes or bathtubs or whatever. What? Pin- Suggest you should go on Pinterest. No, you should go you. on Instagram and look for Elf on the no. Shelf and see no. the creativity that people are engaging. Thank you. I'll Innovation. Pass on innovating on my <laughs> you can, Elf on the can Shelf. safely pass. All right. Well, happy Friday to you. You too. Thanks. Talk soon. <laughs> okay. Talk soon. <laughs> That's your line. That's your line. You do it. Talk soon. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.